I have to tell you, I want to come back when Chuck's feeling better because if, if this is his low energy moments, I can't wait, can't wait to see him when he's really buzzing. Uh, Chuck, thank you. You did a great job. And he, he isn't feeling well, so uh, I appreciate that he came out and was here today. Now, uh, I've known Dudley for a long time, and I have a deep respect for him. He's a great man of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and, you know, preaches the gospel, and he's, uh, he's been with you for a long time. So uh, we just thank God for those things, and uh, it's a great, great praise, and just to see what God has done in and through him. And this is a great place. Uh, I think we had Presbytery here not too long ago, so I got to see your facility before, so it's wonderful. Uh, and just so you know, if you don't know what grace is, you know, we always talk about, you know, grace, it's uh, God's riches at Christ's expense. When you see my wife, and then you know we've been married this long, that's grace, okay, on my behalf. Say, wow. So it started good, and then she's, she hung in there. So that's just grace. And my mother's here too, so I have to be very nice because she'll tell me if I wasn't. So, uh, and my sister's here, they're visiting, and it's uh, just a joy that we're all here with you today. Now, what I hope, because you know, I'm, I'm watching my clock, so forgive me if I do, because I want to be faithful to what you're used to. Spanish River preached for 40 minutes, okay? And don't worry, okay? Don't worry, I won't. But they should have like a number back there where a clock, where it starts with green numbers, and then when it gets close, it goes to yellow, and then like the two-minute warning is red, and then you just drop out of the stage. I mean, I, so I suggest you tell Dudley that. Maybe that'll help somewhere along the way. But, uh, but I, I will try to remain faithful. And you know, in the first service, I had the joy of knowing no matter what I did or said, those beautiful kids were coming up after me. So I thought, they're not even going to remember I was here. Bad news for you is they're already gone, okay? <laughs> I'm the best you got left. Uh, would, you, would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you, we praise you. Lord God, we would just ask that uh, you use this humble speaker to speak your word. And Lord, we already have seen your glory in those kids, and we already saw you and heard your glory as we worshiped with music, and as we, as we worshiped you with tithes and offering and with friendship. And Lord, now as we look at your word, we would pray that you would continue to glorify yourself. Lord, that you would open hearts and minds, and again, you would speak clearly uh, through a broken speaker. Thank you for your word. We pray for this morning and give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I am community care pastor, so I do a lot of, uh, of care, and we're going to talk a about suffering. So I get a chance to see suffering uh, a lot. Uh, I do pre-married and post-married counseling and do marriages. I do uh, all the funerals, generally do all the funerals, do all the visitations, and that falls under me. Go, go to the homeless shelter, uh, do prayer ministries, and, and uh, some of the old folks' homes we go to. So unless you're getting married, you don't really want me to show up, okay? <laughs> just, just know that. So, uh, and I'm, gonna, I'm in charge of the buttons, so I'm just telling you ahead of time, uh, technology is not my long suit. So if I'm saying something and something looks different on the screen, uh, forgive me ahead of time. But uh, just know we're going to try to find the scripture here. We're going to look at the book of Habakkuk. I went through a, uh, your website because Dudley said, hey, would you preach? And I said, yeah, I'd be glad to. And so I said, do you want me to preach anything special? He goes, ah, whatever you want. Now that's, <laughs> that's good and bad, you know, because you go, oh, okay, it's a big Bible. So I went, I went through his outlines over the year and just because I didn't want to preach what he preached on a couple weeks ago. So I, 
I don't know how familiar you are with Habakkuk, but I picked that because when you read through the Bible in a year, you hit about uh, Ezekiel and you're out, right? You go, I'm done. Some of you quit at Lamentations, but some of you get as far as Ezekiel. You don't even know those minor prophets are there. But I did see you're having a Hosea study, so, so I know you're aware of them. So I wanted to preach out of this. And guess what? We're going to talk about the whole book. You're going home with a whole book study today from uh, the book of Habakkuk. So hear, hear the word, and I'm going to start in chapter 3. And we'll go back and pick up some things. Verse 16. Oh, there it is. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines... The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. And this is to the choir master with stringed instruments. And uh, I'm going to read this one. And I'll explain to you why we did this. This is sort of a hinge point verse, and it's in the middle. But uh, to get to it, we really have to start at the end, and I'll explain that later. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Raymond Calkins says, There is no Old Testament book that is able to do more for the burdened souls of people or to raise them to a higher level of hope and confidence as the book of Habakkuk. So as we look at this book, we're, we're looking at suffering. And the first few verses I want to start off, it's going to sound like Psalms. When you read David, you get that, uh, that Psalm feel to this. He says, oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see the iniquity And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Not a happy start. And what happens here is Habakkuk Habakkuk has questions and complaints, they're called, to the Lord. And he starts off with those. He's saying, Lord, I'm surrounded by... I'm surrounded by problems. I'm surrounded by trouble. And you don't seem to be listening to me. I got a lot going on, Lord. And, and the world's going crazy. You don't seem to be there. Lord, you know, there's injustices in this world. There, there's great suffering. And you don't seem to care. It seems like evil's winning. It seems like evil's ahead. How about this? Maybe you have neighbors like this, right? Like you're struggling. Maybe your marriage is hard. Maybe things aren't going well. You might have a loss in your life. Maybe you, uh, your, your house is going for foreclosure. I don't know what those troubles are, but you're looking over at the neighbors and, and they don't believe anything. They don't believe all the good stuff we believe about God. And you go, wow, they seem to be doing great. Just bought a new boat. They got that new Lexus. I mean, what, what's going on, Lord? Why, why are these people prospering? That's, that's the idea that we have with the beginning of this book. It's about, it's about the suffering. Why, why do the evil prosper? I want to give you a couple stories. 
that maybe uh, focus you in on this. One, uh, we have, uh, we being, my wife and I have this Bible study of young couples. It started off to be a dating couple, a dating couples group. I, I love young people. You know, I've worked with young people most of my life, and now that I'm getting older, I don't have as many places to plug into them, but we have this, this Bible study of 20-some-year-olds. They started off, they were dating. No one, there wasn't a good place for them. To, uh, no one took over the, the small group. So I said, well, let me ask my wife. I think we'll be excited about that. So we, we take the group over. And uh, it starts off, one of the couples had just gotten married. And over the course of three years, we've been meeting with them three years, all of those couples have gotten married. I think there were eight of them. And uh, our son's to be the last to be married in October, October 4th. So it's been great joy to watch them. But they really have this great uh, prayer ability. We have seen so many answered prayers in that group. It's just phenomenal to see them. And we, we, have this, we study the word, but then we have this great prayer time. And uh, one of the couples prays for one of their friends who lives out of town, and they're pregnant, and they're going to have this baby. And they find out right before the baby's born, they find a tumor in the baby's brain. And now they're deciding, you know, do we operate in utero? Do we wait? What do we do? What's the best scenario? Is this child going to live? So we're praying for this couple. And again, you can imagine the joy of getting getting to the place where you're going, this child enters the world, and now you're scared to death. So that baby's born, has a cancerous tumor in its head, and weeks after it is born, they have to operate. So they operate, they get most of the tumor, we think, but that child has a really high probability of being both blind and deaf. Now, that's hard. I got to tell you, that's hard coming out of the chute on that one. And we, and we ask the questions, why, God? Where are you in that one? Well, another thought is um, I did a mission trip over to Chad, Chad, Africa. At the time we went, which was uh, two and a half years ago, Chad was deemed the poorest country in the, in the world. And when you got there, you thought, well, yeah, they're up there with the poorest country in the world. It was a tough place. So we go there. We had, I think, four four uh, churches that we planted there, because we plant a lot of churches out of our church. One was uh, in uh, an orphanage, and the guy who ran it was our connection, and his, it's named after his daughter who died of malaria when she was five, so that's a whole other story, but uh, we went over, and I, I had the joy of dedicating three other churches, so we fly into Jemina, the capital, and then we go to Mondu, the second largest city, to the south, and then we go to this orphanage, and then we make our way out into the jungle villages where we have these uh, three other churches planted. And I want you to envision, as we get into Jemina, where most of the technology lives, uh, people still have wells in the ground, but they're well fortified. They're like brick and cement, and it looks like a water fountain. You go, well, that's nice, and they come and draw water. As you keep going toward, toward Mondu, they, get, they, they just get less and less sophisticated. And by the time we get out into the jungle, literally, it's a hole in the ground. Some of them are covered, some of them aren't. And these kids are drinking water out of that well. I mean, everybody's drinking water out of that well. And they have diseases all over the place. These beautiful, wonderful kids uh, get malaria like you get a cold, they, and they die. You know, it kills them. And there's other diseases. You know, we had to get about 20 shots to go there because of all the diseases that are coming, and a lot of it's because they're drinking this putrid water. 
a little girl came up to us and, you know, we're drinking water out of, out of bottles, okay? We're not drinking that water. That would have killed us in a day probably. But you feel a little bad, you're drinking this water, and we're discarding our bottles, and these kids are collecting them, and a little girl comes up, and she has a bottle, and it, some of you remember Yoo-Hoo, you know, that chocolate drink. And I'm looking, and I'm thinking, wow, she's drinking some Yoo-Hoo. How did she get that? And it, here, it was just the water. It was so dirty, it looked like chocolate milk almost. Uh, that's suffering. That's suffering. We were doing a medical mission, and we're giving them pills that saved those kids' lives because they would die the next day. It was, it was just amazing to me. Last story I'll share with you. Guy's name's Paul, real guy. Uh, I taught one of his sons uh, when I was teaching school. His son's actually my daughter's age, friend of my daughter's. And great couple. This, this couple was that couple that hold hands on the beach. They still date. I mean, like, like gooey kind of dating. You know, they're very affectionate. And I mean, and I mean that... It's nice. It was a nice thing. They're like, wow, and they're still in love. Uh, they were romantic. Well, he got sick, and he had cancer at the base of his tongue. They couldn't find it for a while, and by the time he found it, it was stage four cancer. And he goes through a process of chemo. I went to visit him, and, you know, it just, I won't share all the gory details, but it was a horrendous disease. Uh, February about a year and a half before he died, he wanted to meet with me because he knew his voice was leaving. And he said, I want to sit and plan your funeral. It was a really weird time because we're sitting talking about his funeral. He could barely talk then, and we planned it. But he, he, wanted, he wanted to glorify God in his life. So from there, he went into hospice. Uh, he died a very slow, painful death. Uh, it, was, it was very tough to watch. He was a good man. He was one of those guys you would ask, why him? Why him? I mean, it would make more sense to me you know, pick that guy or that guy, but why him? Why them? Why did they have that suffering? So that's, that's the dilemma somewhat that we see in Habakkuk. The background of this book, Habakkuk is writing this 600 B.C., okay, 600 B.C. What you have to know, you, there's a divided kingdom, You had David, king, great kingdom. Solomon, great time of peace. After Solomon, the kingdom divides. You have Israel, 10 tribes to the north. You have Judah, two tribes to the south. So speed up. The Assyrians move in, and uh, and you have to get this piece, okay? This is an important piece. God's people were disobedient. God kept calling them, I'm your God, you're my people. And they kept running after false gods. They kept looking for things outside of what God wanted them to do. And so he's trying to call them back. So he sends in these people as, as punishment to get their attention, to, to bring them back to him. So Assyria comes down, pretty much wipes out the northern kingdom. They're, they're gone. Uh, they're taken into captivity. They're spread out everywhere. So you have Judah. Judah's left Two tribes are, it's where the holy city, Jerusalem, is. It's where the temple of God uh, resides. So during Habakkuk's time, you have Assyria up there. Josiah, the king at the time, is making deals with Assyria so that they leave us alone. We're making money deals. Hey, I'll give you this. Just leave us alone. So they're, they're at bay. Egypt is powerful, and they're pushing up from the south. So there's a southern problem. And then off to the east... Off to the east, there's this nation 
called the Chaldeans. You know it as Babylon, Babylon the Great, right? That's, I mean, a lot of Bible talks about Babylon and how evil they were, but it was this beautiful place, powerful place. And God says, Habakkuk, here's the deal. I hear your complaints. I hear what you're saying. My people haven't listened to me. I'm going to send in this people, and they're going to ravage. They're going to ravage. They're, they're heathens. They don't care about life. They don't care about anybody but themselves. And they're coming, and he uses one line, their horses are going to ride in speedily like a leopard coming through. And they're all powerful. And they're going to come in and take over. Now, that was 13 years before it actually happened. So Habakkuk was a prophet. God said, I'm telling you this. You got to go tell the people that. In 13 years, this is going to happen, and it will happen. So imagine I come to you and says, oh, by the way, I hope you had a great morning because guess what's going to happen this afternoon? You know, somebody's going to come in, take us over, uh, you know, take us into slavery. We're, we're gonna, it's going to be awful. Just thought you should know. <laughs> I mean, you know... <laughs> First, you'll run out and make sure you got your collection back and say, okay, I want my tithe back because I didn't like that news. Uh, we don't, we don't want to hear that great news, but that's what they're telling them. He had to tell his people, but he had to know that. He lived with that knowledge. So that's the story, and we get to chapter 3, and what God says is, guess what? All those people that gave my, gave my people, the Israelites, a problem, I'm going to punish them greatly. So that's the knowledge Habakkuk comes into, and... Uh, in verse 16, that's what he hears. His body trembles. He says, my, my bones, there was rottenness in my bones. He felt the deep despair of that. But he said, I'm going to quietly wait because God said, this is what I'm going to do. So I'm going to wait for his deliverance. I'm going to wait for his deliverance. I'm going to wait for his vengeance. And, and he was shaken by that news. I... I came out this morning. I got here early because I was here for the first service, obviously, and it didn't take much because I come straight out Boynton. We live east. I'm coming out Boynton Beach Boulevard, hit about Congress. I'm already angry. <laughs> so I was just thinking in light of this sermon, you know, you're thinking how fragile, how fragile my character is because I'm all juiced up to preach you a sermon and about suffering and how God is so big, and I'm like, I'm already mad at three drivers. So, so I did a lot of confession before I got here. Uh, by the time I hit Lions, I was pretty good. I was still, I was cruising. Uh, so he knows this knowledge. And you're going to hear these words. Though, oh, I think I went back one, sorry. Though, yet, and but. So put those in your minds. Though, yet, and when with but. So though these things happened, uh, you get the idea here. These people came through when the Chaldeans and any conquering nation comes through, they don't pack lunch buckets. Say, okay, fellas, uh, here's what I want. We're going to go for a couple years journey and we're going to conquer some land. So pack your lunch buckets and your knapsack. <laughs> it's like they, they come along and they take everybody's food on the way. Okay? It's like I'm coming to your house. If I'm going to rob your house, I'm going to take everything. I'm taking your food because I might have to walk a long way before I rob the next place. I mean, that's the mentality. They're coming through and they're taking everything. The fig trees, you know, fig trees, they're not even in blossom, meaning there'll be no figs. Uh, the fruit on the vine, grapes and wine, a big deal then. That's, that was their drink. 
And it also was their, their festival time, their festivities, their celebration time. It was gone because there's going to be no celebration. The prod is the olive. The olive was so big with oil and, uh, you know, one was for food and cooking. The other one was for anointing and, and that sense of joy and anointing one another in the name of God. That's out. The flocks and the herds, there's no food for them to eat anyway. These people are going to take them and cut them up and, and cook them. They're going to have a feast on your food. And guess what? Even the king won't get his food because the king counted on all that also. Nobody, nobody has anything. It's just desolate. It's just desolate. So that's what's coming. That's the though. Now, what's the though in your life? I don't know what your though is. Uh, I struggle with anxieties. You know, you have to go do something. You have to, you have to be in front of people. You got to do all that stuff. I get a little anxious. That's one of my those. Some of you, maybe it's you wanted to be married and you're not. Maybe uh, your kids aren't what you thought they would be. Maybe you had a great loss. Maybe you had great losses. Maybe your job isn't exactly what you had started out to be. Uh, you fill in the blank, and we can go on and on. Our sufferings are great. And one of the th- ways we minimize, a lot of you, you know, if I said, are you suffering? Oh, yeah, but there's people having a lot worse than I do. That's a true statement. But you still suffer. You still suffer. When I bury a 90-some-year-old person, that's still a loss. Somebody loved that person. That's a loss in someone's life. That's a long-time marriage that's gone. It's a big gap in someone's life, a big hole. All those are sufferings. You know what the greatest fear for me in this? Is these people had all this stuff and God, God removed it? It's those things that maybe should be removed in my life. Maybe the though in your life are things that should be removed. Uh, We talked about, I I have a lovely family. I love my granddaughters. I can't even tell you, but I want you to know this. People will say, grandkids are the best. That is a true statement. But you know what the really best part is? My daughter has three daughters. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's so wonderful. But what if? What if that they were uh, an idol in my life? What if my home, what if my car, what if my job? You know, pastors, you know, we, we idolize our job too because uh, sometimes we think we're too important. I hope that never happens in my life, but, uh, uh, and you have a humble pastor, you know, but, but there are pastors that, that that's a problem for them. They become idols in their own life. So I don't know what it is for you. Maybe there's things that the though has to be removed. But he comes in with a yet. Yet. Though these things, and I I love this about this guy. I mean, he's looking down the barrel, right, of a gun that's coming to him, and it's not, a a bullet would be so much better than what's happening. It's going to be long-term suffering, long-term captivity. And he says, but yet, even though those things are going to happen, I will rejoice I will rejoice in the Lord. Do you this morning rejoice in the Lord? Is your joy found, first of all, in in God, through Christ? Is that where your joy is? I'm not talking about happy. If I went happy, you know, I can do a lot of that. I can ride a roller coaster. I can be happy for about three and a half minutes. I'm talking about joy that's that river of, of goodness that undergirds your life. That's joy. It's deep. It's rooted 
That's joy. Is your joy in God? So here's the little equation. If I took this, 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 and this out of your life, would you still have joy in the Lord? See, that's what's happening here. God's fighting to get their attention. And is he fighting to get your attention? Or can you say, God is my joy. God is my joy. How about you're watching those kids sing up here? Now, if that doesn't move your heart, you should get it checked, okay? Because that, that's joy. You watch them and their, their energy, they're jumping around. It's so much fun. There's a joy in that because we hear them proclaiming the word of God in their songs. There's joy in that where we connect. So is your joy in the Lord? He will take joy in the God of his salvation. Do you joy in your salvation? Isn't it interesting? 600 BC, this guy's writing about salvation. Okay? He's writing about salvation because he knows there's this plan. And don't miss that in this book. There's this great plan God has, even though all these things are coming, there's salvation coming in this. The joy for us is we know it came. It's historically happened. He, he didn't see it yet, but he believed in God. So is there joy in your salvation? I already told you what a rotten sinner I am. I can't even drive. Uh, I'm a sinner. I have sin in my life. I'm selfish. I care way too much about me. And when I think I'm doing the best, I trip because I find out, ah, even that. And I care about that. I don't like that. But you all have that. It goes back to the beginning, to the first people God made. Sin enters, and it's handed down to us. And we like thinking good about life, but, you know, I really can't get to salvation and joy in my salvation until I understand who I am. I'm a sinner, and I'm only saved because of what Christ did for me. That's why it's joy. I would never have chosen God. I like what the world offers. I like the, the bells and the whistles and the bright lights and the, and the fun stuff, you know. But God changed my heart. And he sent Christ. And Christ came to do what I couldn't. He lived a perfect life. I don't know if you think about that. What, what was that like? I told you I can't go 10 minutes out of my house. I probably was sinning before I left the house. But I, you know, because I was anxious about today and preaching. So I was already messed up. What's it like to be perfect? That's what Christ did in the face of all those things. You know, at, at Congress and uh, at Boynton Beach Boulevard, when that person cut me off and I, re- I thought, you need to learn to drive. I probably thought some other things, but you need to learn to drive. Just so I don't think in bad words. I know that's what you thought. I don't do that. I just get angry with them and want to teach them how to drive. Jesus would have said, it's okay, I've forgiven you. See, See, that would, be a, that would be a great thought for me. I haven't gotten to that place yet. But he lived a perfect life because it had, to be, it had to be done so that he could be that sacrifice. When he went to the cross, he took every sin that I've ever thought, ever done, ever will do, and he made it right with God. My position with God before Christ was I was alienated, I was doomed for physical death. I was doomed for spiritual death. I was separated from God. When Jesus came, he connected me because he paid the wrath that God was going to pour out on me. He paid for that on that cross. And then he rose again triumphantly, defeating sin and death. 
and I have life. So do I have joy? I do. And every day, somehow, I try to preach the gospel to myself. Somewhere I take some moments and I, I walk down that uh, Via Della Rosa road and say, that's what he did for me. And he got nailed to that cross and he died instead of me. And I'm going to rise because he rose. Man, don't lose the joy of that. I belong to him forever. I don't care what else happens. I belong to him forever. That's the joy in your salvation. Sorry, there's something coming. Okay, that's not there. The last one is, uh, he's my strength. See your strength. Those little kids sang about that, right? You know, they're all strong. It's all this. But that's true. He's our strength. When I can't do it, he can. When I won't do it, he will. When I am weak, he is strong. Uh, if, if I took you over to 2 Corinthians and, and read the litany of lists that Paul suffered, he goes through this whole list of things that he suffered. And then he says he has this thorn in his flesh. And pretty much he says, it's so that I can remember who God is. He says, I am weak, but he is strong. And my strength is because he's strong. So my greatest weakness makes him stronger and he works through me. I I would never stand up here. I would never stand in front of a human being and say one word if I didn't believe God's spirit would bless it. I just wouldn't do it because I'm not strong enough for that. But he is, and he wants his word proclaimed, so we do it. He is strong. And he goes on to say, it's like the deer, you know, there's, there's rough roads. Jesus said there'll be troubles and tribulation, but he helps us on that ragged road, and we're like, we're like a deer. We can run fast, and we can... We can do the terrain pretty well. Now, though there's all this bad stuff, but all my rejoicing is in God and my God is bigger than all this stuff. Or that was a yet then, but he says, but the righteous shall live by faith. Now, in preparing for this, I read a, uh, the book I used, the, the is from Charles or from uh, Donald Gowan. He's a professor that I had in seminary, and he wrote the book about Habakkuk because his wife had an incurable disease, and he realized at any moment she could be gone. And I haven't been in touch all these years, so I don't know. I assume that she's not around anymore. But he wrote this book because he wanted to know there was joy in the suffering. There was joy in the suffering. And he says, we can't get to this verse, to 2-4, if we don't understand what we just talked about. If you don't understand that you rejoice in God, that you find joy in your salvation, and that God is your power, you can't get to this verse. So the verse is this, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Righteous, I'm righteous because Christ died for me. I am just. When God looks down at me, he sees perfection. Not because of anything in me, but because of what Christ did. So I'm righteous before him, and I belong to him because Christ shed his blood for me and bought me for God forever. So my righteousness is dependent on Jesus Christ who died for me, who loved me, who bought me back. That's my righteousness. And when they talk about live, the righteous shall live, in that in that. Jewish world, in that Israelite world, living wasn't like, like some of us today get up, it's like, oh man, Sunday, I'm tired. You know, you go to church? Yeah, you got to go to church. Yeah, let's go to church. You know, you like life? Yeah, life's great. 
that's not living, okay? It's abundantly. It's having God and realizing we have abundant life and we have it eternally and he fills us up and he wants you to be full with life. You know, sometimes, and, and I'm sure I fall into this a lot of times, so forgive me saying this because it sounds judgmental. I get a little tired of really good Christians who are, who are like uh, Eeyore, you know? Uh, you're going to have times in your life. It's hard. Life is hard. We all have those times. But you know, some people, that's how they live their life. And you're like, really? Really? That's not abundant life. That's not abundant life. And I can't wait for the other side because it's going to be crazy. It really is. It's going to be crazy. But we're here now and he wants you to have life and have it abundantly in his son, Jesus Christ. And it says we get that because we live in faith. You have to believe it. You have to believe it. And that word in the language back in the Old Testament was faith, what you believe and how you believe it. And you believe it no matter what. No matter what. No matter what happens today, you believe that Jesus is who he said he is and you have that joy in God and you believe God's all-powerful. No matter what, you believe that. And it also, it also is, is faithfulness. It's steadfastness. It, you're standing in it and your behavior, your behavior is Christ-like no matter what. So I believe and behave the same way no matter what. So I'm righteous, I'm filled with life, and I believe and I live according to what he gave me. Is that how you're doing it? Is that how you're doing it? Again, please understand, I fight the same battles you do. We're, we're always becoming we're always working at it. But he's bigger than anything out there. And he wants you to have it. I love that he loves me that much. I love that he loves me that much. In my worst day, he loves me just as much. In my best day, he loves me just as much. That's the God that we serve. And he wants you to walk in and through that. Now, I want to finish up and tie a story up for you. I told you about Paul and his wife. Uh, they were in hospice for a long time, way past what most people are in hospice because he had this healthy body and it, it just lived and lived and lived. Uh, he had wounds all over his neck and stuff from all the operations and, and he, this is gross, I'm sorry to do this before lunch, but he, he just was always seeping blood and the wounds never healed. It was just, at every level it was hard. When, when he could write, he would write these fabulous things about he loves the Lord and he would thank me for coming and we would pray and read scripture. He and his wife walked that road and finally she said, I'm, I'm taking him home. I don't want him to die here. I want him to die at home. So I got a call one night to come over. It was late at night. I mean, it was like 11. And he's laying on their bed and she's laying beside him. And I sort of climbed up, sat beside him. And she said, I... I can't call the hospital. I, I can't do any more. I don't, I don't want him to go through any more. And they just loved God and loved each other, and they included me in that. Uh, they were amazing, and that's how he died. That was suffering done well. That was suffering done well. I hope no one ever dies like that. But one way or another, we're walking out of this life by dying unless Jesus comes, right? That's how it does. That's how it ends. That's a guarantee. I'm a coward. I hope he comes. I hope he comes and gets me before I have to die. But when I see it done well, and you see faithfulness at work, and you see that rejoicing, enjoying his salvation, and know where you're going, and know God's all-powerful, 
What a, what a great story. Pray with me. Father God, I thank you and I praise you for this time. Lord God, we so, we so want to be the people that you want us to be. Lord, in our weakness, make us strong. In our sufferings, Lord, let us joy. Let us celebrate our, our salvation. Lord, let us know that you and you alone are powerful. Lord, blind us to the to trappings of this world and let us seek your face. Let us know that your son's who he is and fill us with your spirit. Thank you, we praise you in Jesus' name, amen.